Have any of you had the exciting privilege of teaching your teenager how to drive? <laughs> That's a wild ride. Uh, if so, please see me afterward. Give me your best tips and tricks. But here is one thing I learned. You, you forget as you're explaining how to drive, for those of you who drive, who've done it for years and years, you forget how much you assume about driving and how much comes so naturally that it never crosses your mind to have to explain this. But one of the first lessons you teach a new driver as they're learning to drive is you cannot maintain the same rate of speed that you use on a straightaway on a hairpin turn. Fair? You've got to do what? And you've got to slow down in the turns. Slow down in the turns. So when we teach beginners how to drive, we don't take them on a curvy, twisty road. We take them in a big parking lot where they can go straight for a long stretch of time. Because you've got to slow down in the turns. If you don't slow down in the turns, you lose people in the ditch. That is really good advice for teaching, leading, life. If you run an organization, if you run a, a, if you, if you're part of a family, if you're trying to be a parent in a family, if you're a teacher, teachers know this, as long as you're covering the same old ground, you can hammer down. But when you're about to introduce new information, when you are a physician and you are about to present some life-altering news to somebody, when you are in an organization and you're about to, to have some change, what do you got to do? You got to slow down in the turn. You got to slow down. Hey, this is new. This is going to be different. We're not all going to pick up on this at the same rate, and that's okay, right? So as Jesus is walking through, have you noticed, as he's going through the book of Matthew, have you noticed like the, did it feel like the first part of Matthew was moving at a faster pace than the last few weeks? Don't answer that. But it did. It's, it's like Jesus is on this frenetic pace. I mean, it's, boom, it's Sermon on the Mount. It's the baptism and, and, and the temptation, then the Sermon on the Mount. Then he's, then he's healing and preaching and teaching and all this announcing of the good news of the kingdom. When we got to Matthew 16, do you realize it, it, almost the same amount of time that it took all that, we've been in, in 16 and 17. Why? Because it's a big old turn. He's saying to his, his disciples are slowly realizing, and the turn was when he asked them, okay, you've seen me for 15 chapters. Who do people say that I am? They gave him a bunch of answers. And Jesus said, okay, million-dollar question, big turn up ahead. Who do you say that I am? Now, for them, they don't think it's a turn at all. They think, hammer down, you're the Messiah, you're the king. And it's all going to happen. And this, on this trip to planet Earth, Jesus, you are going to heal, you're going to restore. We've already seen signs of your kingdom. In your kingdom, the blind can see. In your kingdom, the mute can speak. In your kingdom, the dead are raised. Whoo, come start your kingdom. Crush all the Romans. Let's get it going. They don't think it's a, Here's the turn. Matthew 16, do you remember this? We're going to be in, of course, 17 today, but I, I want to show you the turn. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? This is the turn. Matthew 16, 21 was the turn, wasn't it? Those of you who've been in the Matthew series, you remember this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that what they thought was a straight ahead, straight path to earthly king, Messiah, he goes, it's actually a hairpin turn. And this begins, Matthew 16, 21 begins the famous final road trip to Jerusalem. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go 
to Jerusalem. And they're like, yeah, of course we're going to Jerusalem. And we're going to win. And we're going to conquer. And you're going to be enthroned. No. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, raised. And you remember, this broke all their categories. That's why Jesus has to slow down in this turn. Jesus is the ultimate wise teacher. Jesus is taking this turn with the disciples. He's saying, no, no, no. And you recall, Peter pulled him aside and rebuked him. You don't know your Bible, Jesus. What about Psalm chapter 2 that says the king's going to come and rule with an iron rod? What about all that Messiah talk? And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. No, Peter, you don't know your Bible. What about Isaiah 53? He's a suffering servant who's come like a lamb led to the slaughter. What about that? Well, there's an awkward silence. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the Mount of Transfiguration, where in a sense he's able to prove that he's got, the, he's got receipts on, on, on the, the ability that he's going to be able to fulfill all this stuff. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? He reveals the glory he's always had and the glory that is coming. Yes, they're going to crucify me. Yes, my face is going to be so beaten up it'll barely look human. So you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration all the glory because this is Easter. This is what's coming when all you can see is what is. Hold on to what's coming. Well, Jesus is so good. He's so patient. They come down off the mountain. They perform another healing. And here's why I say it's almost like he tries again. You see what he's doing? He's going slow in the turns. And that leads to today's text. The theme of today's text is death and taxes. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) Here we go. Matthew 17, 22. Clearly, Jesus is going to try again. This begins... The road trip to Jerusalem. Here they go. They've been up north, hanging out in the, 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 the relative safety of, 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 of the Galilean uh, uh, northerly regions by the Sea of Galilee. And now he tries again. Okay, I tried this a chapter ago. We, uh, we ran into a rough patch. We, we lost some of you in the turns. So here Jesus is going to try again. This is new information. You, you don't have a category for a Messiah who's going to suffer So he tries again. Verse 22, as they were gathering in Galilee, this is the death part of death and taxes. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, okay, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. He tells them the same thing. Now, I I just want to point out, uh, Jesus so often spoke in parables it's easy to forget that. When you come to Easter and the, the, the angels are like, why do you seek the living among the dead? We're like, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, Easter is a brand new thing, the resurrection of Jesus. And he always used code language. He always used parables. Uh, he didn't always speak in parables. Long before his death, burial, and resurrection, he said this. See if you can figure out what he means. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And all the disciples are like, what, what do you think he means by that? All right? Must be a metaphor. I think he means he's going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and be raised on the third day. Again in Matthew, it's always easy to look at the disciples and go, how could they miss something that was so obvious? And of course we realize it's us. So often we're the disciples. Well, he's telling them the same thing. Yes, I'm going to be a triumphant king. See that raised on the third day? But I'm not going to achieve victory the way you guys think I'm going to achieve victory. I'm not going to achieve victory by killing all the bad guys. I'm actually going to die as one labeled a bad guy for the salvation of all the bad guys. It's not going to be the way you think it should go. 
And so how'd they do last time? Last time they rebuked him. This time, how'd they react? Not much better. They're just sad. My version says, and they were greatly distressed. You see that? Some versions say, and they grieved. So they continue their fateful trip to Jerusalem. And it must be so confusing to disciples. If he is Messiah, he has to go to Jerusalem. That's where the influence is. That's where the prophecies sit around. And most of all, what's in Jerusalem? What's in Jerusalem that is so important at this point in the story? The center of Israelite worship, the temple. And Jesus has already made references about the temple, and, and uh, uh, he, he, he said some things they don't understand, like he's greater than the temple. It would make sense that Messiah is going to purify the temple, but, but he, he run, like, he's supposed to run the temple, and yet the, the, the elders, chief priests that do run the temple, Jesus says he's on a collision course, and they're the ones that are going to kill him. So naturally, they're greatly distressed. Okay. So what happens next? What happens next is such an emotionally charged moment. It's one of those scenes where, that was the death part, now comes the taxes. You you might just blow right past it as you're reading your Bible. But I want you to see this is fraught with tension. What happens next is a loaded question. They're heading to Jerusalem, and verse 24 says they make one last stop. Why? Because they're on their road trip to Jerusalem, but they had just put in a brand new Bucky's at Capernaum. And so they decide, okay, we're making, I don't know if they were there to gather their things. Maybe they stopped at Simon Peter's home. For whatever reason, this is kind of the last time they're going to see the relative safety of the north. And they're going to head to Jerusalem. And when they get there, while, while they're standing in line at Bucky's or whatever, of all things, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, what is this? This is out of nowhere. You see what I mean? If you were reading this along, uh, re- reading along here, you might just be tempted to just, you know, fly right past this. But what's going on here? Oh, this is a loaded question. What is this two drachma tax? Your version may say, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Same thing. The two drachma tax or the true two drachma temple tax. What is this temple tax? A drachma was a currency. Uh, I can do this one pretty quick. Two drachmas. Uh, put together with two more drachmas. Uh, two drachmas, half a shekel. Two drachmas, half a shekel. Everybody got that? So four drachmas together is one full shekel. All right? And if you didn't want to break a shekel, you had, you had four drachmas in one shekel coin. So, so you didn't have to pay that full shekel, but half a shekel, two drachma tax, would go for the upkeep of the temple. The roots of this tax actually go all the way back to Exodus. And uh, uh, different uh, rabbis, I'm sure, had different interpretations of the uh, obligatory nature of this. But I'll put up here Exodus chapter 30, verse 12. Each, uh, meaning each uh, Jewish man over the age of 20, each shall give a ransom for his life by giving half a shekel, right? Not the full four drachmas, but two drachmas, half a shekel, According to the shekel of the sanctuary, sanctuary uh, uh, becomes tabernacle, tabernacle becomes temple as an offering to the Lord. And so they just kept this, kept this tradition. Over time, every Jewish male, um, it, it, the, the ransom for his life, the payment for the upkeep of the tabernacle and then temple, everybody over 20, they get to write their first check when they turn 20 years old. And it is this two drachma temple tax. You paid it once a year. And it was the equivalent of about two or three days wages. So it wasn't an enormous tax, but it wasn't nothing, uh, but it was an annual uh, uh, tradition they would do. Over time, it got nicknamed the temple tax, since the amount was two drachmas or 
two drachma tax. You could, you know, did you pay your, did you pay your two drachma? Did you pay your temple tax? They were talking, everybody knew you, you were talking about the, the same thing. I do find it funny a little bit that no other uh, synoptic gospel contains this particular story. It is found, of course, only in Matthew. <laughs> Mr. Tax Collector's like, ooh, a tax story. <laughs> Every loyal Jewish man, when he turned 20, paid it. And so they want to know, back to verse 24, they want to know, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors, in other words, the representatives from the temple of, this, of the two drachma of the temple tax, went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? You hear how it's kind of a loaded question. Why would they, now why would they even ask this if it's a mandatory tax? Well, that's where it gets complicated. I say it's mandatory. Most commentators agree it wasn't legally binding mandatory, but it kind of was but it sort of wasn't, but it kind of was. Why? Because this is not a tax to the state. This isn't Caesar's tax. You with me? This isn't a tax that goes to Rome. This is kind of like, it's like, it's a way of saying like, come on, are, are you a loyal Jew or not? Are you, are you part of the, the temple here or, or not? So I, I, it was obligatory, but it wasn't, it's not like they could come and break your kneecaps or something if you didn't pay it. You know what I mean? Uh, so it was, it was mandatory, but, but not really mandatory. It actually reminds me of, uh, I was on a mission trip once to uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, we were driving from a big city way out into a, a village, and we were on this trip, and uh, the, our translator and guide is up here in the passenger seat, and uh, I guess you'd call it driving. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the driver was here, and he, he, uh, we, didn't, we couldn't communicate with him, and, and so, uh, and, and, you know, we're in the back, we're watching all this, bumping along this road, and then there's these big flashing lights and uh, what look like very official vehicles, and then the guys in uniform with the guns come out. The guns are very important uh, to this. They were very important to me in this story, and uh, they come out, and they say something, and there's an exchange, and this guy's talking. We can't understand anything, and finally, I see some money pulled out. The money handed over to what was obviously, it looked like in the uniform, obviously some sort of police force, and and then they part, and we go through, and I was like... uh, huh, okay. Uh, so I asked our, our translator, you mind telling us, like, we're all, like, scared. You seem really calm. <laughs> we're all losing our minds. And he'll never again, it's so funny. He's like, uh, they were, uh, how do you say it? They were having a police fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fundraiser. You don't have to pay our, you don't have to pay our, our money. You can. See these guns? Yeah, you don't, it's totally voluntary. I'm like, is it voluntary when Mr. Thundermaker is going to start barking fire? Is it really, like, voluntary? But then I got to thinking, like, now there's a fundraiser. That would be a PTO bake sale we would never forget. Can you imagine? So you get the point. It was like, there are certain things in life that are, like, like, like voluntary, but are they really voluntary? That's kind of what this temple tax is. Pretty, pretty effective. You see my point. But here, but, but... People were so conflicted about this because it didn't, I'll say it again, it didn't go to Rome. It didn't go to Caesar. It went to the temple. It went to this. This is a rendering of the temple in uh, AD uh, 33. You see this map. I mean, look how much, look at, obviously this is an artist's rendering, but, but, but look at how it dominates the city. See, up there on the hill, you notice that red-roofed building to the, to the left is the royal stoa. That, that's where the Sanhedrin would have met. And the one, the big building on the corner, you see that and on the right? 
Ah, that's courtesy of the Romans. That's the Antonio Fortress. They got so tired of all these rebellions happening. All these would-be messiahs keep popping up in Jerusalem with all this religious fervor. Happens about once every Passover when everybody descends on Jerusalem. Messianic fever goes crazy. And so they were tired of putting out rebellions. So he just, <laughs> just put a fortress right there on the temple mount there. As if to say, look, we're going to have archers here at all times. If anybody has more rebellion ideas, we have plenty more uh, weapons and swords and crosses, and we'll just put them all on crosses. So they just put a, overlooking. How'd you think that made them feel, having a fortress overlooking? But my point is, it, it, look at that. Look at the size of that. Look at how it dominates the city. Who, who pays for the upkeep on that? I mean, paper towels alone, uh, right? <laughs> uh, you know, who, who cleans all that? Who, who pays for priests? And really think it's the whole uh, sacrificial system, right? You got priests and their salaries, sacred attire, the sacrificial materials, the wood, the wine, the oil, the flour, the candles, the knives. Your two drachma tax, watch this, paid for literally the life and blood. I mean that literally, the life and blood of a whole sacrificial system. It's not cheap. So yes, it was supported by tithes and offerings, and you can go into all the Levitical history of all that, but not the least of which was this annual two drachma tax. Jesus, Jesus has been talking about Messiah. Didn't Jesus once say he was greater than the temple? What do you think of Judaism, Jesus? You see how it's a loaded question? What do you think of the Torah, Jesus? Did you come to abolish the law and the prophets? Think about it over and over in Matthew. Isn't that what the Pharisees come at Jesus with? Do you not care about the law of Moses? Do you not care about the Torah? And from the disciples' perspective, they're, they're wondering the same thing. Like, you, you've predicted the destruction of this temple. You've talked about how you're going to cleanse the temple. You claim to be right here in Matthew, greater than the temple. What about this whole system where lambs die for sin? What does the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world through blood sacrifice, think of paying for all those priests and lambs in the temple? Here's the question. Are you going to pay into a system that you've just said is, who's meeting in that left building? Chief priests, elders, scribes. What has Jesus literally just said that group of people is going to do to him? They're going to kill him. Jesus, are you going to pay into a system that you, you overturn the tables in the temple because you believe this system is broken? This system is, they are not fulfilling what God's intent for the temple. Are you going to pay into a system that you know is broken? Are you going to pay into a system that you know with your own blood you're going to pay for? Are you going to pay into a system that is literally going to kill you, Jesus? Such a loaded question, you see. Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? They sent the representatives, go ask Jesus, and we'll get him on that. Here's the problem. They don't ask Jesus. They ask Peter. What a bad day to be Peter. Peter is standing there in Bucky's, like, just minding his own business at Capernaum. And suddenly they come up, and I mean, he's got, the, the reporters are all gathered around. Go ahead. Peter, does, your, does Jesus not pay the temple tax? Poor Peter, I love, I love his answer, verse 25. Yes? I gotta go, right? That's all you get. I love this. It, it, now, it could be, in so many ways, I have no idea how to interpret this. Um, it could be that Peter has seen Jesus pay the temple tax, right? He's been with him at least three, uh, two, two years now, so it could be that, yes, he just means, it, just, yes, I've seen him pay it, he pays it, very possible. It could let me ask you this. Would, be the, would this be the last? It could be he's lying. 
just to get out of a tense situation. Would this be the last time we see Brother Peter lie straight through his teeth to avoid a scary situation? Maybe. I'm also struck because the question is phrased as a double negative on this answer. The question is not, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes. It's got layers. The question is asked, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? To which he's like, yes. Well, so yes, he pays it, or yes, correct, he does not pay it. Peter's like, yes. (laughs) I love that. Or Peter could be like me. He's so conflict avoidant. He's like, yep, bye. When he gets inside, Jesus knows what has happened because he, Jesus, look, he speaks first. Before Peter can even talk about it, Jesus starts in with a parable. He said yes, and when he came into the house, that's what makes me think Peter said yes and ran. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, so Jesus obviously is either looking out the window, somehow, he, or he, you know, he's Jesus, he knows exactly what's happening, and he starts in immediately. Simon Peter comes rushing in, about to tell Jesus about this, man, they're, they're about to ask you, you better think of a good answer. Oh, Jesus is ahead of him. Jesus, by the way, is always ahead of us. And he says, he tells him a little parable. What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And poor Peter's like, Now's not a good time with the parables, Jesus. I don't know, right? Why you got to go with the parables? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But he's at, follow his logic, follow his logic. He's saying, come on, Simon, imagine a king. Now, imagine back then you had a king. Kings, ta- uh, kings tax their loyal subjects. All you subjects, right, the king is thinking, you're so lucky to have me and my family rule over you. That's just how kingdoms work. But Jesus throws a curveball. He says, imagine this king is also a father. And so when that king, how are kingdoms funded? How are kings funded? They're funded through the taxes of the loyal subjects. It wouldn't make any sense, right, for a king to then uh, tax the people in the very household that the taxes are meant to support. So for a king to tax his own household would be like if you had $100 in one drawer in your house and you moved it and you put that $100 in another drawer and thought, yes, a new hundred dollars. Like, no, you just moved it around. It makes no sense. Here's where it's great, though, to read. Sometimes we must honor the fact that there are some cultural barriers when we come to the scriptures. The Bible was not written to 2023 uh, America. Jesus didn't come in 2023 America. So it's funny to read this verse as an American. See, as an American, we live in a democracy, and we come to the totally opposite conclusion. So if, if, they had, if Jesus had asked us, who do you think pays the tax? Should the people pay the tax? Or if you're an elected official, should your children get special privileges tax-free? The answer would be like, absolutely not, right? Everybody, the sons pay the tax too, right? But for Jesus, the answer was the exact opposite. And, and Jesus is not saying it's, it's right. He's not saying it's, it, he's not endorsing this system. But look at verse 26. In Jesus' cultural moment, uh, 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 Peter gets the right answer. And when he said, Peter said, well, from others. Exactly, right? Jesus said to them, then the sons are free. The children are free. It's just a fundamentally different relationship. The king has a relationship of intimacy and shared resources. Listen, the the father doesn't coerce his children (laughs) like a king has to coerce his subjects into paying taxes. The children are free. If you are a child of the king, you don't have to pay. Do you follow Jesus' logic? 
What's the logic here? What's embedded in this? You see why you can't just blow past this. This is, this is deep stuff. Who's the king? Okay, who's the king? In, in this little parable, who is the king of the temple? Because the, the issue is, do we pay the temple tax? And Jesus says, king's kids don't have to, don't have to pay in any kingdom. That's how it works. He's implying, well, the, the king of the temple's kids wouldn't. Who's the king of the temple? It, it's not a trick question. The king of is, Israel's temple is, is God. Okay. So he says, the children of the king are free from paying taxes. So who does Jesus think he is? Who does he think God is? God's his father. The king of the temple is my father. And he has good reason for thinking this. Twice, a voice has boomed from heaven. Do you remember the two times? There they are. Once at, uh, once at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, do you remember when he comes up his baptism? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He hasn't done anything at this point. At this point in Matthew 17, 5, so Matthew 3, 17, and then 17, 5, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was still speaking, bright cloud, voice, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. At this time, Jesus is preaching and teaching, so the voice adds, listen to him, right? And not to Peter, talking about tents or something. You, you just listen to, to Jesus. No, 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 no rabbi would have ever claimed this closeness to God. No, no human that I know of ever said, I and the Father are one. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. Go back to verse 25. He doesn't only claim this connection for him and his father. He's not just saying the child of the king, the son of the king is free. What does he say? The, the, in Jesus' parable, the king has multiple children. Does everybody see that? It's plural. The sons. Oh, don't miss that. Plural. Jesus has now invited disciples into the same relationship of love and connection and closeness. Look at the, 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 the end of 26. Jesus said to him, their sons are free. The sons are free. And it's so true. When Jesus, he invited, it's like he invites you to say, hey, the same relationship I have with God the Father, I'm making available to you. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, how does he say begin? Jesus' Father in heaven, we come to you. I wish we could have that relationship like you have with Jesus. No. How does he say to begin the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. That you and Jesus share in that relationship with God the Father? That's incredible. The children are free. What's the point? The point is this. You don't have to pay to be God's child. The beauty of what Jesus is saying. Kings go out and break kneecaps and threaten with the force of violence. Jesus didn't like that at all. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what you really need. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to pay to be God's child. Let me say it again. <laughs> you don't have to pay to be God's child. Why is that so important? Friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. You got to hear me. Jesus said, who charges the toll and the tax? Who gets charged that toll and tax? Well, that must be the people who don't have the king as their father. That's exactly right. Can I suggest to you, if you do not have the king as your father today, you've got some, you've got some stuff tolling and tax. It's taking its toll on you. It is taxing you. Let me say this. If you are a believer, 
and you acknowledge that God is your father, can I point out, you're living like you're not a child of God because some things are taxing you and they're taking its toll on you. What do I mean by that? When you have idols in your life, when I have idols in my life, when I take my focus and my eyes off of this great glorious gospel fact, I am free. We sang that song, who the son sets free is free indeed. I am who you say I am. When I'm tuned into that frequency, then I know I'm free and it allows me to live in that gospel freedom. But the minute I take my eyes off that and I begin to focus on control and significance and, 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 and I'm, I'm looking for, for popularity or wealth or fame or whatever or, or beauty, these things do what? Oh, they levy a toll. They levy a tax. For some of you whose idol is control and significance and you're, and, and you're longing to get the approval of others, the tax it is charging you right now, the toll on your body is anxiety. You're paying the anxiety tax as if you're not a child of the king. For others of you whose idol is self-righteousness, the toll, it's, you're paying a guilt tax. And right now you are covered up in guilt, covered up in condemnation. And that's what the enemy, he wants you there. Why? Because he wants you to live like you're not a child of the king. But the sons are free. I'm going to say it one more time. I've said this three times now. This will be four. You don't have to pay to be God's child. You don't have to pay to be God's child. Whatever you are wearing yourself out to please is taking its toll on you. Oh, make, oh, how about wealth? Wealth will charge its tax in you. You make all this money and you'll pay taxes in the form of taxes, okay? But, but what about beauty? Labor for beauty and youth. And you make beauty your God and that's a God that will pour out her wrath slowly, year after year, wrinkle upon wrinkle. <laughs> But don't you know people who've made the Lord God their God? Don't you know people who've turned away from the idolatry of beauty? And as they focus on God, as they grow older and older, do you know what happens? They age more and more gracefully. Because outwardly they may waste away, but inwardly they're being renewed day by day. That's what it means to live like a free child of the king. So you're free. Now, what if the story ended right there? Two things. Uh, <laughs> one for the purposes of the sermon, the other on a practical note, you'd be like, oh, that's great. We got out early. It's never happened. So if the story ended right there, what would you, uh, what would you conclude? If that's it, if Jesus says, hey, 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 do you pay the, does your teacher pay the two drop my tax or not? And Jesus says, hey, the king gets his taxes from others. The children of the king are free. Mm. How do you, then what do you think he would do? Would he pay the tax or not? If, if that's all the story you knew, how, what do you think would happen next? You would think the answer you would conclude is, no, he doesn't pay it. Incredibly, Jesus, as the strategist, says, verse 27, however, I got to pick my battles. He says, however, not to give offense to them, we don't want to cause offense. Which can, can you go back to that verse 27, the first part? The, oh, oh, it, it's already on there. Thank you. you how, or, the, or there. However, not to give offense to them. Don't you love this? This is Jesus saying, well, I don't want to offend. When has Jesus ever once been concerned about offending the religious leaders? 
Never, right? And yet, out of great love, he says, listen, I don't want to be a scandalon. I don't want to be a stumbling block, not to give offense. He doesn't feel compelled to pay into this system. It's, but, 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 but it's just not worth it. And this is Jesus. Listen, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, and what I'm about to pay for is so much bigger than the two drachma tax. Let's go ahead and square up with everybody. And besides, you ever, you ever been on the phone with somebody in customer service, and you were not being served as a customer? You know what I'm talking about? The worst is when you're on hold for 85 minutes, and they keep saying, your call is very important to us. I'm like, I know one thing. This call is not, in fact, very important to you. But when you get on there and that sweet person gets on the phone with you and you're so angry at the company or the corporation, but you realize, ma'am, I realize this is not your fault, right? You're, you're caught in the middle. Do, do you know what I mean? You have compassion for this poor person. I hope you have compassion for this poor person that's caught in the middle. In some ways, Jesus is saying the representatives of the temple tax, they're not my enemy here. They were sent by some people that are very much wanting to kill me, but, but not in the middle. So listen, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And then he gives what is... The most bizarre, in my opinion, this is just, this is odd. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take, in other words, you normally do net fishing. Here I want precision fishing. Go to the sea and cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. What? Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. If I'm reading this, like as a fifth grader, Tom, you lost me on the history of the two drachma tax and the nuance of the temple, but I want to talk more about that. Like, if I were preaching this to a fifth grader, I'd be like, aren't you glad Jesus saved that fish? (laughs) Thank you. And the fish was free. He loves everybody. But that's not the application. (laughs) It's just odd. There's not even a record that Peter did it. Um, it, It's just that he he said to go and do it. I guess it's not odd to imagine fish swallowing shiny things, right? Fish would swallow swallow a coin, but it's just this, it's, it's enough to cover them both. Anyway, it's just delightful. I, just, I, I love that. You, you, it, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, this is not made up because you can't make that stuff up. Uh, so in this way, uh, Jesus continues the faithful road trip to Jerusalem. He feels no way obligated to pay into the corrupt system that's about to kill him, but he fulfills the temple system altogether with his own death, so he's completely free. Pick your battles. Eh, no big deal. Besides, I I own the cattle on a thousand hills, and I own the shekels of a thousand fishes' mouths. It's no big deal when you're God. All right. So here he proves his divinity. He stoops down and proves his love for humanity. It's like win, win, win. Every time the, the, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, he beats them in their own trap. And in this case, he's just flexing on them. He's just here. Go get a fish. First fish. How did he know that the first fish? Because he's God. He has this. Okay. So what's the main point of the text? How do we apply it? We've got to draw this to a close. Death and taxes. The application? Every, ap- every April 15th, don't stress, just go fishing. No, 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 no. Here, here, this is better. I think the main point of the text is this. Jesus knows he is not obligated to pay, but out of love he obligates himself. Let me put it more simply. The king's kids are free but they use that freedom to love. Let me put it even most simply of all, the king's children are free to love. I should have said this is not an application. This is an applications. This, is, <laughs> this application is two sides of the same coin, pun intended. The king's children are free, and some of you need that application, 
to love. Some of you need that application. Some of you need both. At this point, I've taken us as far as I can from now, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, the preached word of God, my hope is that at this point, something rests on you that goes way beyond a human voice, and you're hearing, what do you need to hear? One or both of these things. First, the king's children are free. Some of you need that message of freedom. Some of you are people pleasers. Jesus didn't care what people thought. How did he get to that point? He knows he's God's kid. He was rooted. Do you know you're God's kid? When those, when those two drachma tax collectors came up to me, I would have melted in that moment. I don't like conflict. I don't want any part of it. Not Jesus. So absolutely certain he does not have to pay to be God's kid. He's beloved. I'm, I'm his son, Jesus is thinking. Toll means tax. You don't have to pay that tax anymore. So for some of you, come and walk in the freedom of being the king's kid. Um, I, don't want, I, I, I want to bring this matter to a close. I tried to think of an illustration of this, the only one I could think of. In Wednesday nights, we're having this prayer, guided prayer experience in here. So many exciting things going on Wednesday nights, by the way. Bible studies, prayer experience. If you're not part of it, come this Wednesday night. Dinner at 5, starts at 6. But in this guided prayer experience, I realized that we're going to do some prayer experiences where we're playing some music, we're playing, and, and, and it could be that you're praying silently. And if you're not used to praying silently, it occurred to me, especially like the prayer meeting is, you know, it's an hour long, and we don't pray necessarily for all hour, but some people aren't used to praying that long. And it struck me on a Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, in this sanctuary, especially as we get later and later in the fall, and it's kind of dark in here, chandeliers provide a beautiful, and that soft music begins to play, and it's so spiritual and godly and such good gospel music, and you're filled, and these pews, let's be honest, they're, they're a little soft. It occurred to me that during like a prayer time, it could be that you just sort of drift off to sleep. It would it would be the first time anyone's ever slept in this sanctuary during a... <laughs> you know what I told everybody on Wednesday night? If you'll come and you'll start to pray and you fall asleep, then you will fall asleep in the presence of your Father who loves you. And that may not be the worst thing. It may be that you need a nap in the presence of God. Have you felt that kind of grace? That kind of freedom? So come Wednesday, if all you need is a nap, we'll put you in the balcony and wake you up for the benediction. Everybody with me? It's the, only, it's the application I thought of. It's not the best one, but you see what I'm driving at? You need to know the king's children are free. What's the other error you can fall into? One is to be so legalistic, you're still paying a tax you don't owe. The other error, what do you call a child who is so secure in his parents' love, who knows he's a king's kid and wants everybody to know it, what do you call a child who doesn't need the first part of that application, oh, I know, I'm free, what, what do you call that child? We have a word for that. The word is brat. The other side of the application is we're free, but not free to be a brat. So free means I've had a hard week. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a single mom, and I've been putting in so much work, and you told me to come to prayer meeting, and I prayed, and all I could do was fall asleep. That's the freedom I'm talking to. If you show up with a blanket and like a sleeping bag in here, that's brat. That's different. <laughs> you, get what, you get what I mean, right? We're free, 
But he says, we're not going to use that freedom as a stumbling block. The New Testament does this all the time. I've, I've got way too much on here. I, I, uh, I've got quotes from Luther. I've got, I mean, I, we, we can talk, maybe I'll, I'll just save some of this uh, for Wednesday. But he doesn't use his freedom for selfish advantage. Let's just do that one quote from Luther. Martin Luther said, a Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all. So, uh, that one's too long. Do the, do the short one, the one right before it. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Martin Luther, A Treatise on Christian Freedom. Uh, it's a little over 500 years old. That's the essence of the text, isn't it? Okay. Brandon, if you'll help us in a time of musical response, and let's prepare our hearts for the invitation. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, we would endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about, right? I mean, we're... we're Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Why am I going to trip up over a two drachma tax when I'm about to pay everything? In closing, can you look at, uh, can we look at this one last time? 27, 27B. You'll find a shekel. Uh, the very last verse. You will find a shekel. Take that, next one, and give it to them for me and for yourself. That's it. That's it right there. It'd be easy to get lost in the odd miracle and the fish and that, but there is something there, that coin tax. What did it represent? Told you it goes to Exodus. And back in Exodus, stay with me. Give me one more minute. It, it, that coin tax, the only way to really be counted as the people of God was to pay that tax. Let me ask you something right here. When you stand before God, are you good for it? Can you pay what we owe to God? You might say this way. Do you have sufficient coin in your pocket of righteousness to pay before a holy God. On your own merit, do you have enough to pay that toll that says, I can be counted as a child of God? Or, or are you honest with yourself and you realize you must stand before God when it comes to righteousness, utterly empty-handed? Now consider Jesus. He didn't need to pay that toll. He never sinned. Jesus never even technically needed a temple system because why would he ever need to draw near to God? He's eternally connected to God. He never needed the sacrificial system to atone for sin because he never sinned. That's what makes this coin, that's what makes me smile every time I think about this full shekel coin. Peter is asked the question, Jesus connects Peter's two drachma tax that he owes together with the two drachma tax that Jesus does not owe and puts him in one shekel coin. Jesus paid a debt that technically he does not owe so that in that payment, Peter's gets wrapped up too. Jesus doesn't send Peter out to go get a two half shekel, uh, to get a two drop coin, a half shekel coin just for him. Uh, get one for me and then get one for yourself. Good luck. Go get one for yourself. See if you can throw a hook and catch, catch a fish and find what you need, Peter. If Jesus had said, go get your own temple tax, Peter would be hopeless. What Jesus says is, go get my coin. And in my payment, which I don't owe, they'll be enough to cover you too, Pete. You got the point? You got that? Peter is all paid up because of Jesus. Connected to Jesus, united in Christ, joined to Christ. Peter's debt is paid in full because he's in Christ. It's really true, isn't it? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and though he did not owe this tax, Jesus washed me white as snow.
Let's pray. Oh God, grant to us freedom as the children of the King. God, forgive us when we're, we're paying tolls and taxes of self-righteousness and legalism and, and anxiety and guilt and fear that we do not owe. Flood us with the good news that that full shekel's been paid. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, let today be the day where this, this, this loaded question about death and taxes might be the very day that a light bulb goes off. Maybe they've heard the gospel good news, but it never occurred to them that you died for them in their place, for their salvation. Let today be that day of salvation. For believers, let us walk in the freedom, but not walk in freedom that makes us spoiled brats. Walk in the freedom that makes us free children, able to share that love freely with others. We pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand to your feet?